Thank you. Thank you, Ben. <clears throat> am I on? Am I good? You can hear me? Cool. Um, so, yeah, so just to give you insight, so Ross phoned me, or Paul phoned me on Wednesday night to say, Gavin, please, bit of a logistical issue, can you step up and preach on Sunday? I was like, Phew, okay, like this is a tall order given that this is not my vocation. Um, so it was, it was quite hectic, and I was feeling quite nervous until um, we had dinner with some friends last night, and one of my friends told me, he said, he once got asked to preach except due to a series of miscommunications between him and the pastor. What he didn't really realize was that he had actually been asked to preach. And so what actually happened was on the morning when they finished worship and they called him up, he had that epiphany of realizing that he was actually preaching. So but needless to say, God saved the day, and this is not, uh, this is not that story. So, um, so we are continuing on our series, our vision statement, and it should be at the back there. So this is the third part of a four-part series. Last week, Paul preached on enjoying God, and I have the joy of actually preaching on releasing potential. And I feel like God's given me enough material that we might actually drift over to lunch, so I hope you cancel your lunch plans. Um, so, yeah, this is our statement. This is not exclusive. This is not the right statement. These are areas that we feel as a church we are called to press into. There could be a million other one different things up there, you know, feeding the poor or praying for the sick, a whole bunch of stuff. And this is not exclusive to say this is the right answer. But these are areas that we feel as a church that we are called to push into, to pray into, to do all the stuff that Jesus has called us to do. And if you are visiting, if you've been here for a little while, if you've been, been to one of our vision evenings, we're kind of saying this is where we're going as a congregation and we would love you to be part of that. And if it's not for you, that's absolutely okay. But this is where we're going as a church and to hopefully sort of we can pull in the same direction. Um, I'd like to start with this. We're going to be talking about potential today. Now, do you realize it's not how you see yourself that defines you? Do you realize it's not even how God sees you that defines you? But do you realize it's how you think God sees you that defines you? Do you know that when Moses sent the spies to go and determine the promised land, two of them came back with a good report and the rest didn't? The other guy said, there were giants in the land and we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. God didn't call them grasshoppers. They said, we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. You see, how you think God sees you is going to have a big bearing on your destiny, on your calling, on what he's placed inside of you, and what you are actually called to do. And this series is about kind of saying, you need to understand God's viewpoint on you, that you can be released into your destiny to fulfill your potential, to fulfill the dreams and desires that God has placed in your heart. And by the way, those are good and godly dreams and desires. You see, we are all uniquely made. Each of us are different. Things will inspire us and, and do things differently. If uh, uh, Craig, I hope you don't mind me kind of sharing this. I had a long chat with Craig Charity yesterday. Craig's, you know, owns um, lineage coffee shops. And you know, when we were growing up, you know, uh, owning a bunch of coffee shops wasn't on the career list amongst the accountant, lawyer, and engineer. He is absolutely passionate about what he does. He said, to the extent that he sits there, he'll be negotiating business contracts. Somebody will walk in with a coffee machine to be fixed, and he says he almost cannot keep his mind on what he's doing because he's just passionate about fixing that coffee machine. We are all unique. I like spreadsheets. My wife thinks I'm a complete nerd. But I love what you can actually do with that type of stuff. We are all different. But you understand, what is it that makes you fully alive? I love the saying, um, the glory of God is man fully alive. 
Some of you may have heard the story of Eric Liddell, and forgive me if I get his name wrong. So Eric Liddell, Liddell was born um, early 1900s, Scotsman. Um, he was a runner, a sprinter, an Olympic runner. Uh, he was also a rugby international. He uh, was a missionary. Uh, he actually died, I think, fairly early by the age of 43 in a concentration camp during the Second World War. Um, and his, his life story was portrayed in the 1981 film The Chariots of Fire. And Eric Liddell said this. He said, In the dust of defeat, as well as the laurels of victory, there is glory to be found if one has done his best. God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Do you know, he had actually entered the 100 meters, but it was actually run on the Sabbath, um, and he chose not to do it because he was deeply religious, so he ran the 400 and he won that. But it made him fully alive. If I look at my wife and I, we were different. I'm an introvert that functions as an extrovert, and I can do well in a crowd, but my energy level just crashes. She is a completely different. She is that steam train that just starts building up, and by the end of the night, she is flying. She has met with people. Her love tank is full. She's just energized by people. It makes her fully alive, and it's inspiring to see someone who becomes fully alive doing something that they love and being energized by the things that God has created them to be. It not only well, it inspires you, and it inspires the people that are around them. So this is not a prosperity message. This is not a Tony Robbins, three steps to victory, motivational, go out there and do your thing. This is really about saying we need to know and understand what God has placed upon our lives, what we are called to do. And this is our role to seek that out. It is our role to understand and press into that so that we ourselves can become fully aligned. Because when we are alive, God is glorified. God is glorified. It's not about you and your own destiny. It's about God being glorified. There's a... Bill Johnson in Bethel says this, and I love this. He said, God will always keep his promises, but he's not obliged to fulfill your potential. He will always keep his promises, but he's not obliged to fulfill your potential. I'll give you an example. Let's say your child is really good at tennis. You send them to the top tennis school. You go and build a tennis court in your backyard. You put a tennis wall in. You hire the coach. You buy the best racket. And every day, things are set up. But if your child does not pick up that racket... It doesn't matter what you do, what you give him, he is never going to be the best tennis player in the world. And it's absolutely no different with us. We have a responsibility to step into the calling that God has given us. He will help us get there by every stretch of the imagination. But until we move, God's going to wait for us. He will never violate your will. He will never force you to step into your potential. You see, and I fully believe that Christians are destined to be leaders in business, influencing government, leading healthcare, education, um, starting businesses, starting NGOs, impacting our community to do things that are going to shape and transform how we live in our city. It is not the church's role to be government. Olive Tree is not going to start a political party, and now you vote for us, and Olive Tree is going to go and become government. That is not the church's role. The church's role is to help the men and women in this house who are called to do that, to step into their destinies, to influence in areas that we as a church cannot influence, but you are called to go and do that. It's important looking at what we don't want to achieve here. We want people to accept Jesus. That is singularly the most important decision anybody can ever make. It's 
If you live and die by making that decision, do you accept Jesus as your saviour? But you, it cannot stop there. It can't be just about, I've accepted Jesus, and now that's it, that's what I was called to do. No, it can't be. It can't be about, now I've accepted Jesus, and now I come to church. It's important. You need to come to church, be with fellow believers, hear the word regularly. It's important. That's not the extent of your potential. It's not about you now go and join a life group and a grow group, which is important. Because now you start walking with life, the people that are going to affect you and what you do, and you can help you and you can help them in times of trial. It's important. But that can't be the end of your potential. And now you're going to tithe, which is good, and it's godly, and it's called for, and it's important. But really, is that it? Is that the extent of what we're called to do? It can't be. We want to disciple people into using their spiritual gifting. And now you start operating the prophetic, and now you're bleeding on the worship band, and now you're using evangelical gifting. The spiritual giftings are incredibly important. But again, it's not where it ends. It's not God's sole destiny for you. You see, we want to release disciples into their callings. And that is why we're passionate about releasing potential. And I can tell you conversations that I've had with people who are sitting here and the things that they are doing and and sitting on our other sites and other churches around the influences and the effect that they are having. You see, sometimes that word potential uh, can have, you can have mixed reactions to it. When, when you're younger and somebody says you've got potential, you feel like a king. You feel like the world is at my feet now. I'm going to achieve a whole bunch of stuff and, and this is going to be good. But when you start getting to my age, sort of mid-40s, and somebody says you've got potential, you're like, that's cool. I've got a little bit of time left. I'm, I'm not out of the woods yet. I'm, I'm, still, I'm still going to make it happen. And then when you're in your 60s and your 70s and somebody's got potential, and somebody says you've got potential, you go like, are you now on the same planet? Like, I'm, I'm 70 now. Do I really have potential? The answer is yes, you do. You see, the thing is, God says, for I know the plans that I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope in a future. And this is not dependent on your age. Do you know that some of the oldest men in the Bible performed some of the greatest events? Abraham and Sarah were closer to triple digits and single digits when a nation was born. Were they too old? No. If God has put a calling on your life, regardless of your age, and you press into him, you have every reason to be hopeful. But you have to be hopeful. Have you noticed how difficult it is being a Christian? When you start out, first of all, you give your life to Jesus. And that's hard. I'm like, oh, my mates aren't and I will okay, but I'm going to do this Jesus thing. It doesn't feel so cool, but I'm going to do it. And now you start going to church, and it's like everything starts to become you going there kicking, screaming. You sort of, you know, you're going to church, which is hard. And now you're going to go and pray for somebody in a hospital. They get well, and it's the last thing I want to do. And have you ever noticed, have you ever lifted your hands in church? Have you noticed how that started? Like the last thing I'm going to do is lift my hands in church. And then I'm going to start, but I'm going to start quietly so nobody can see me. And then next week, I'll maybe lift my right hand. And then after a while, I'm going to try and put my hand up, and I'm just embarrassed that anybody's going to see me. It is hard. But when you start glorifying Jesus, it warms his heart. What happens is we need to die to self for his purposes and plans to be fully revealed in our lives. He says, um, he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to lose our life for his sake. 
I want to go through Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 to 6. And I might test your theology a little bit, and I'm hoping that this sermon is going to make you a little bit uncomfortable and hopefully make you see things from a slightly different perspective. So Ephesians 2, verse 6 is, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together... And made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Notice something. When we accept Christ into our lives, he comes to live inside of us. What does that scripture say? Made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Christ comes to live in us. And then we start to live in Christ. Where is Christ seated? Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Where are you seated? You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Don't miss the enormity of this. 1 Corinthians 2.16, it says, For he who has known the mind of the Lord, that he, might, that he might instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. I want to tell you what starts happening. When you accept Jesus into your life and you start following him, his thoughts actually start becoming your thoughts. They actually start becoming your thoughts. And I give an example. I shared a while ago when I, um, I, I gave somebody a word in the airport. It was just embarrassing and went totally wrong, but I did what I thought I had to do. So I'm going to continue on the same vein. So a couple of months ago, I was on a plane flying down to Cape Town. And you go back to my, I'm an introvert. You know, I don't really like extending myself beyond myself. Uh, and I get on the plane, flying down to Cape Town at 8 o'clock in the morning. The plane is packed, completely packed, except for my row. It's a space next to me. The lady sits down. Must have been early 20s, I guess. Plan takes off, we're going along. And I have this thought comes to me, and the thought goes like this. The lady next to you is going out with a man. She is unsure of this relationship. I want you to tell her that he is the right man for her and that I, God, am in this relationship. That's not a normal thought. I'm going down for business with somebody I've never met before, and I don't know. Is she married or not? I've got no idea, and I get that thought. And what I've started to learn is when I start getting these left-field thoughts is when God is actually talking to me, and my heart is now pounding, so I think, okay. Now, based previous experience, things haven't gone so well. I'm going to try this one. I said, okay, but now I'm going to put some barriers in there, and I say, okay, God, I'll tell you what. I'm going to lean across, and I'm going to ask her. If she's Christian, she says yes, then I'm going to give the word. Now, I'm trusting this is not going to go well. So anyway, so the air hostess starts coming down. She starts, and now we start dealing coffees. Now we're interacting high. And I'm like, if, if I do this is the time, then I'm going to have to do this. So I, I lean across, and I, but I was a little bit sneaky as well. I look for, uh, she didn't have a wedding ring on. So I'm like, okay, this is starting to line up. And I said, I said hi. Um, and she goes, yes. Uh, I'm like, no, now, I'm, now I'm in this. I said, um, I said, look, please don't think I'm weird. I'm a Christian. Um, I believe God talks to us. And I believe that this is what God has said. And I'd like to share this with you. And I told her. And she just started crying. And I'm like, this is either really weird or it's going really well. <laughs> and she says to me, she says, you need to understand why I'm flying back to Cape Town. She says, I live in Cape Town. But the reason I'm flying back is because I flew up to Durban this weekend to meet my boyfriend's parents for the first time. And I don't know them. And I'm now reflecting on our relationship and where we're going, what we're doing. Man, I was pumped. I was pumped. I've heard God correctly in this because that could have been awful. That could have just been I've got some weirdo sitting next to me, flying down to Cape Town the next two hours. It could have been awful. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. That wasn't my thought. That was God's thought. I come back to that thing where I say, 
God's thoughts start becoming ours. When you start looking at your dreams, the things that you are dreaming about, chances are it's actually God has put them there in the first place. It's not just your random thought. It's not just your random desire. God has probably put that in you, and he's birthed it in you for a specific reason, and it's just your goal and your role to mine that out. Understand as well that, um, yeah, I'm going to talk through the story of Nehemiah. So I did, uh, I've spoken on this uh, briefly in the past, but Nehemiah, you may have known, was um, the cupbearer to the king, uh, and he learned that the wall in Jerusalem was in a state of disrepair. And so word got to him, and he developed this burden where he felt called to go back and fix the wall. So he goes to King Artaxerxes, and he asks for his permission. The king gives him a letter, gives him resources, finances, safe passage, protection, and he goes back to Jerusalem, and he rebuilds the wall in 52 days. It had taken however many centuries, and they couldn't have done it. And there was huge opposition to what he did. But he goes back, and he builds the wall. And I want you to take some lessons from Nehemiah's story. If you've never read it, we don't have time to go through it now, but I suggest you read it. But I want to take a couple of lessons from, from his life story. So here's the thing. Find the seed that is on your heart. Nehemiah had a burden to go and build that wall. There's a difference between burden and outrage. There is a massive difference between burden and outrage. Now, you might see social injustice, and there's social injustice that happens to us all the time, but there's a big difference between having a burden to fix something and outrage just the chance to shout your mouth off about something that is not right. And if your heart is either ambivalent, you don't get excited about anything, or anything you hear sends you over the edge and outrage, chances are the soil of your heart is not in a good place. And the good news is, you are the farmer of your soil. When that seed gets placed in your heart, when that dream and desire gets placed in your heart, it's your responsibility to prepare the soil that that seed can take root and germinate. What does that look like? Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you coming to church? Are you fellowshipping with other believers? Are you tending that? Are you allowing it to germinate? Or are you actually speaking death over your situation? Because how many of you know that life and death is in the power of your tongue? And when you're facing a challenge in your life, sometimes we think it's the enemy throwing things at us. In actual fact, it's just us speaking over our situation. I can't do it. God hasn't given me hope. I don't have finances. I've got no resources. Who am I? I've got no potential. I'm too old. I'm too young. We actually speak death over our situation when that is not what God says about us. He has made the way. He has given us everything we need to succeed. And am I going to declare that over my life? Or am I going to speak death in my own shortcoming of the situation that I face? Secondly, submitted to authority. Incredibly important. You might be wanting to go and champion something, but Nehemiah went to the king and said, this is what I want to do, and the king said, go for it. He didn't just leave his post and abandon off to try and go and sort out something when he wasn't meant to. Submit your dreams and desires to those in authority over you. It might be your parents, it might be your pastor, it might be someone else. The people who you respect and admire and you submit to their authority, submit your dreams to them and let them talk you through it. I love the saying, private preparation precedes public power. Private preparation precedes public power. Research what it is that you are called to do. Study it, understand it, learn it. Nehemiah dropped plans and he got to know the different types of building materials that were required to make this thing happen, to get the right people in. You are responsible for preparing and making the way forward in your calling and what you're called to do. And God is going to help you. There's stuff that you will struggle doing and God's going to help you get there. But plan and prepare for those times. 
protect and steward what it is that is being born. Don't promote yourself out of your station. Sometimes you're simply not ready to pick up your calling. It is just not the right time. It's not to say that it's not your calling, but it's just not the right time. You might want to be the CEO of an organization or the head of something or whatever it is. Act like it. Do the types of things that the head of the business is going to do. I'm not saying be that person, but I'm saying start doing the type of thing that is required of that position. But don't promote yourself when it is not time and when it's not due. It's not for you to do that. Because chances are, you'll get taken out if it's not your time and it's not your season. I'm going to talk through the story of um, Joshua. This, uh, you know you have those moments where you read the Bible and you see something that you've just never seen before and it's a story in Jericho if we could just put it up in 6 verse 2 and the Lord said to Joshua see I have given Jericho into your hand its king and the mighty men of valor now the context of the story they've just crossed over they're now um, going to God has said to them they need to walk around the city of Jericho for seven days, banging their harps and trimbles and worshipping, and, and the walls are going to fall down. It's like the most insane instruction on how to defeat a city, but that's what they are called to do. It was my daughter's sports day yesterday. She was very nervous before she went. And afterwards, she ran, she did well. And all that. I said after she said, see, you did well. You were worried about it, but you did well. See, you were so good at it. What really struck me about this particular scripture was this. Focus on that word, see. You know that this instruction is given before they pick up their harps and shofars and whatever else that they were doing. Before they even started marching, God says to them, See, I have given Jericho into your hands before they started marching. They needed to see what was going to happen. They needed to see that God was in this. They needed to believe that he was in it. And that when they knew that he was in it, that they would follow him with everything that they had. Can you start seeing what God has called you to do and believe it will happen and ask for him to make the way. Like, oh, I don't know if this is going to happen. I can't do it. If God has said it to you, if he's put that desire on you and said, Lord, I'm going to seek you in this and I'm going to see and I'm going to trust. Steward your dream and your potential well. It is your responsibility to look after that dream, to nurture it. I'm reminded of the story of... Um, uh, Elisha and Elijah. And Elijah comes and he throws his cloak over Elisha. And it's the passing of the mantle, the prophetic gifting onto him. And Elisha had prayed that he would receive that mantle and he had prayed for a double portion. Do you know that it was 13 years between when the cloak was put on him and when Elisha actually performed his first miracle. And when he did perform miracles, he performed double the amount that Elijah did. For 13 years, he prepared of what was going to happen. Go and read the story of David. David was an adolescent when Samuel anointed him with oil and said, you will be king. And that didn't happen straight away. If you go and look at the timeline, I'm not sure the exact timeline, but I'll say it's between 10 to 12 years, between that moment and when David was actually appointed king. Have you ever looked at what actually happened in that timeline? The first thing he does is he has to go back and he has to start, continue tending his sheep. And lions and bears try and kill him and he's got to defeat them and after that he now has to go and fight 
the most feared warrior known to mankind. Double his height, double his strength, double his age, a seasoned veteran. He's going to stand before Goliath and he's going to defeat him. Now, we're not talking your boss doesn't like you here. We're not talking you in a conflict situation. You're talking you're going to go and step in and if you don't win this, you're going to die. There's no second chance. You make this thing happen or you die. David understands that God is bigger than Goliath and he steps in and he defeats Goliath. Now you would think that is just open streets. He's now going to become king of Israel. I mean, it's done. He's beaten the, and Saul can do it and he did it. But it doesn't happen. What happens? He continues to serve Saul to the extent that his own boss starts trying to kill him. Saul tries to kill David. He is so jealous of David that he tries to kill him. Do you know that David has a chance to kill Saul? He has the opportunity. Saul is sleeping. He has the opportunity to kill him. But he says, no. Who am I to touch the Lord's appointed? When you want to promote yourself out of your position, David had the opportunity to kill him and become king. He could have seized the moment, but it wasn't right. And he said, no, it is not my time. Who am I to touch the Lord's appointed? And David is ultimately anointed as king. There is a time and a season for you to steward your dreams and desires. It might take five years, it might take 50. I can't answer that, but that's between you and God. But your role is to steward what God has placed upon your heart. I'm going to close off with, um, with this story. When we moved to London, I, um, I met a guy there, a guy by the name of Alex. Um, Alex about two years older than me, um, but we'd kind of gone over the same time, joined the same church. Um, phenomenal guy, got on really well with him. And we just clicked. He was my height, and not many people in my height. And uh, we just clicked. I remember we went to a conference in Austria, and I went with him and his wife, and Rowena and I went married at the time. And, and Alex sat next to me, and I felt God say to me, will you serve this man? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm a competitive guy. This is my compatriot, and uh, I'm going to compete with him. I'm not going to serve him. I'm, I'm going to compete with him. But I felt God said to me, will you serve this man? What started happening shortly after that was Alex just had this incredible favor over his life. And he was just like better than me in everything. I mean, everything. Like, you'll be sitting at the conference, go and play chess, I can handle chess. He smashes me. Turns out he was like this legend, 12-year-old chess champion, and I got taught a lesson. He could run faster than me. He could cycle faster than me. He could do everything but better than me. And it was annoying. Um, younger, uh, early on, he, he and his wife were asked to go and the elder of the church. Just had incredible wisdom upon him. And, and you talk to him. Everybody said, do you know Alex? Like, I know Alex. Oh, what an amazing guy. Like, everybody loves him. Like, I can't find a thing wrong with Alex. Just amazing. So it's actually just annoying. <laughs> but I felt God say to me, will you serve this man? And I, I had to make a decision at the time. Because I prayed specifically. I said, God, I need you to put men and women in my life that are going to help me walk this road, and I'm going to help them walk their roads. Because I said, will you serve him? And I made a decision, and I started supporting him. And I'm telling you, for somebody who's competitive like me, it's hard. But I started celebrating his victories and his appointments and the things that started going right for him. And after a while, I realized, that's cool. We walk in different paths, and I could fully support him. We've been friends for about 15 years now. Last year, he picked up the phone. He phoned me. He said, Gavin, you won't believe it. They've just asked me to become CEO of the organization. He runs quite a major organization in the UK. And I'm like, I was pumped. I was pumped. 
It was like I'd been asked, but I hadn't. It's his victory. It's what God has called him to do. But see, here's the thing. I've helped him steward that as best as I can. He phones me and he asks for my opinion on things. Now, I'm not the CEO. I don't have his level of influence. But he trusts my opinion enough that he will phone me and ask me some of the tougher questions, not in his business, but just on other things. So because I've suited that relationship, well, I now have a relationship with someone who's got influence way bigger than my station. Why am I telling you that? Because celebrate others' victories as if they were your own. In this congregation, friends that you know, even people you're competing with and your competitors, celebrate their victories because when people step into their potential and they succeed in what God has called them to do, it's actually your victory as well. If you can support them and God will support you to your victories and what he's called you to do. And when we do that collectively as a body of Christ, we can achieve so much more than being jealous about what your neighbor has achieved. Jealousy is a terrible thing. Trust me, I've, I've struggled with it and it's something that I've, I've had to deal with. Jealousy is a terrible thing. But when you can celebrate others, that's where God is like, man, that's just, that's, that's what I ask of you. And we trust him to take us to those places. Can I ask you to stand, please? I'm just going to close off. I want to I pray. Um, if you could just close your eyes. Where God has put dreams on your heart that, that have died because you think you're too old or because you've just given up at it or because your heart's become bitter or whatever it is. Can we just trust God for a fresh anointing? If it's something you've struggled with and nobody's looking, can I just ask you to put your, put your hand up? God says to you, it is not too late. It is not too late. I thank you, Father, that with these hands raised, that your anointing is upon every man and woman who have their hands raised and who don't, that we as a body of Christ would trust in you, that you may be glorified above ourselves in all that you call us to do. We thank you that you love us more than we can ever know or understand. And this is a privilege to worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen.